This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. A new book out from a West Virginia author takes a look at the Mountain State on Christmas Eve. Everybody knows how exciting it is to see West Virginia get a shout out. I wanted to make sure not only do we see West Virginia celebrated, but we see everybody celebrated, even in your own individual counties. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. The public comment period on a new section of Corridor H ends today. Curtis Tate has more. Public comment on the 10-mile Parsons to Davis portion of Corridor H is due today. The segment is one of three remaining in West Virginia to complete the road, which is part of the Appalachian Development Highway System. Finishing the highway is a top priority for state and local officials. When completed, it will connect I-79 in West Virginia to I-81 in Virginia. The other two sections include a portion currently under construction from Parsons to Elkins and another from Wardensville to the Virginia border, which has yet to be designed. The Parsons to Davis segment is the most contested. The proposed route passes through Blackwater Falls State Park south of Thomas. The park draws one million visitors a year. Opponents are pushing for a northern route around Thomas that avoids the park. Those wishing to comment can follow a link on our website, wvpublic.org. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. West Virginia is among the national leaders in apprenticeships. Randy Yowie reports on a growing vocational trend that seems well-fitted to the Mountain State workforce. Apprenticeships go back to medieval times. Think of the butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Why was Benjamin Franklin such a great writer, publisher, and thinker? He began as a print shop apprentice at age 10. More than half of all European high school students are in active apprenticeships. Dave Lavender with the West Virginia Department of Economic Development and Workforce Training and Apprenticeships explains that these positions offer paid, short-term, work-based experiences. Apprenticeship is a is a uh, at least a part-time job, 20 hours a week or more, as uh, designated by the Department of Labor Office of Apprenticeship, and it's a paid uh, a job. And it's meant to be a permanent job, a an on-ramp to a career. Lavender says West Virginia ranks fifth per capita in the United States for apprenticeships. He says the state has taken the time-tested model used by plumbers, pipe fitters, welders, and others in the skilled trades and now being applied to a multitude of career paths, from meat cutting to the world of high tech. We have over 100 apprentices over in IBM at the Rocket Center. And so we have apprentices in cybersecurity and in, in IT and home health aides with wind turbine techs, with uh, solar panel installers at Solar Holler. And these are great paying jobs. Kids can come right out of high school and learn to, uh, to install solar panels and make a great living wage. As one of the state's last true glass factories, Blanco Glass production manager David Wirtz was concerned about the century-old Milton Institution surviving within a declining national industry. Blanco recently began the state's first registered glass worker apprenticeship program, advancing its thriving apprenticeship commitment with young people learning a historic trade. We wouldn't have a future without it. We would simply be snuffed out of the industry. So for the present, it means that we have more options and more availability to help our junior glass workers learn and get more opportunities by bringing in outside training. And it's not just improving opportunities for workers, but for the company itself. It means that we're going to be able to last another hundred years, which is the direction that Don Blink has given us. We're not only making better benefits for our current folks, but we're creating more careers, more jobs down the road as well. 
Taylor Brumfield, a Glenfield State University fine arts graduate, said her Blanco Glass apprenticeship helps create a brighter future for her and her state. If you lose this art form, then who's gonna, who else is going to continue it? I prefer to work my way up to being a finisher. I think I'm like a quarter of the way to that, but it's going to take at least five years. It's a short time. Lavender says apprenticeships work well here because of a strong West Virginia work ethic and the inclusionary nature of the career program. Diversity and inclusion is baked in. Everyone has a seat at the table, Randy, when we say you don't have to have any other uh, prior experience. You can come on board and we will teach you and we will pay you while we're teaching you how to do a job. For information on the more than 1,400 apprenticeships available nationwide, go to the Department of Labor Office of Apprenticeships website. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on environmental issues in the region. Here's their latest story about a natural gas company avoiding charges for drilling violations. A major natural gas producer is not contesting criminal charges for polluting drinking water supplies in the town of Dimmick, Pennsylvania. This is the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsoppel. The 2010 documentary Gasland made the small town of Dimmick the face of the anti-fracking movement. The Oscar-nominated movie documents water contamination at homes there near the drilling operations of Cabot Oil and Gas. Susan Phillips with State Impact Pennsylvania has covered the story for years. She says it all started in 2009 when one resident's shed blew up. What had happened was methane had migrated into the private water wells of the residents in that area. And it's important to remind folks that a lot of people in rural Pennsylvania have private water wells. They're not hooked up to a public water supply. These folks had to use what they called water buffaloes. They couldn't use their tap water for drinking, and they were afraid to use it for showers and bathing as well. Methane itself is not toxic if you drink it out of the water. The problem is that if it's in a high enough concentration in an enclosed space, like any spark can make it explode. So there was a lot of points where, at the time, Cabot Oil and Gas, it's now called Coterra Energy, paid for the water, and then they stopped paying for the water. So that made people's houses worthless if they didn't have water. Charges against Cabot, now Katera, were announced in 2020 by Attorney General Josh Shapiro, now Governor-elect Shapiro, after a grand jury report. What is the company admitting to? So the charges were related to the poor well construction and the gas migration and the company's failure to fix it. Remember, up until very recently, the company, Cabot, like you said, is now Coterra Energy, refused to admit that their actions polluted the water endemic. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to plead no contest, but basically it means you're not admitting guilt, but you're also not challenging the charges. These charges are all primarily under the state's clean streams law. The deal that was worked out by the attorney general was that Cabot would pay more than $16 million to help fund a public drinking water supply that has to be built in Dimmick. If they had actually gone to trial, the largest fine that the company would have paid was about $600,000, which is nothing. $600,000 is pocket change for a company that's worth about $21 billion. 
Have you learned anything from following this case, like as a reporter? I mean, look, the laws on the books were minimal then, they're minimal now. I mean, in terms of fines, it's a lot cheaper for companies to pay a fine than to drill correctly. And I hope that Pennsylvania's politicians and the regulators are going to be more cautious the next time an unfamiliar industry comes into the state and starts drilling everywhere or or doing whatever they are doing that's new and and tries to like assess what's happening ahead of time instead of after the fact. I think that was the big problem here. It was like drill baby drill and there didn't seem to be a lot of oversight. There didn't seem to be a lot of knowledge on the company's part in terms of the geology of Pennsylvania and just how you know, different it is from a place like Oklahoma or Texas. Susan Phillips is a reporter with State Impact Pennsylvania and WHYY. There's more at AlleghenyFront.org. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsoppel. The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.53. Becoming partly sunny today, highs in the 40s and 50s, partly cloudy overnight with lows in the 30s. Mostly sunny tomorrow with highs in the 40s and low 50s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com. The holidays always bring out a wealth of new Christmas books. Among those hoping to find a place under the tree and on your shelf this year is Christmas Eve in the Mountain State, written for children or just fans of all things West Virginia. It celebrates the state county by county. Bill Lynch spoke with author Marley Hazen Yanijes about her very punny book. Marley? It's great talking to you. Tell me a little about Christmas Eve in the Mountain State. When did you start this? I started writing Christmas Eve in the Mountain State in 2016. Uh, more recently, found a wonderful artist to work with, Emily Prentice and Elkins from the Mycelium Creative Art Space. Uh, she's a graduate of fine arts from Davis and Elkins College, and she really helped put some more fun West Virginia touches into the story. Recently, I've been working with Joshua Singleton, a voice artist from Grafton, who's working on creating an audiobook of the story. Why do a Christmas book uh, about all 55 counties? Everybody knows how exciting it is to see West Virginia get a shout out in the news or in a piece of entertainment. And I wanted to make sure not only do we see West Virginia celebrated, but we see everybody celebrated, even in your own individual counties, and in many cases in hometowns across the state. So you have you have a lot of fun 
tidbits like Pinna celebrate with you and Raleigh around the tree. Um, everybody's a part of the story here. Well, 55 counties and some of them are kind of a mouthful. What was the most difficult one to work in? I'd say there, there are a couple of them like my own county of Monongalia where it doesn't lend quite as easily to rhyming where some of these kind of act as more of a stand-in for the names. I am working on including them more in some future stories. So trying to make sure everyone's a piece of the story and everyone has a colorful way to remember it. How difficult was it to to line everything up to make it all work? It has has just been a labor of love. There's so many wonderful people who've supported along the way and given great feedback and, you know, helped to become representation of West Virginia. It's It was tough, but definitely worth it to be able to tell a part of our story here. What's your favorite part about the Christmas season in West Virginia? I love the snow. I just, I love sledding. I grew up somewhere where we might have one day of snow a year, and then maybe every few years we'd get up to three inches of snow. (laughs) So having these wonderful, beautiful snowy hills is just so much fun. Where are you from? I'm from Memphis, Tennessee originally. Well, outside of uh, writing a children's book, what's your day job like? What do you what do you do besides that? I do communications. Um, so I love storytelling. <laughs> and I was also a history student and learned all about Appalachian culture, did some research on a mine wars community. And previously, I've also been a city councilor in Elkins. So just appreciating the culture from learning about it as a new arrival and then just really getting involved. This taught me so much love for the state. Any big plans for the, I guess, the holiday season? I'm just excited to help share West Virginia's story with everyone. The book is called Christmas Eve in the Mountain State. Marley, thanks for talking with us. Thank you so much, Bill. Happy holidays. That was Christmas Eve in the Mountain State author Marley Hazen Yaniji speaking with Bill Lynch about her book. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.